Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for that truth. And Father, in a relationship with you, you want us to be children of yours. We thank you that while fear can be so oppressive and dominant, we thank you that you set us free. Thank you for your son. We thank you for an opportunity to be together today as your people. And I ask that you bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church family, good to be with you again today. Uh, last week, uh, those of you who were here, it was so good. I really enjoyed our one church, uh, just to have us all together and then to get out on that little lake uh, and celebrate baptism last week. Uh, as I mentioned while I was out there, you know, Jesus didn't do it like this. Uh, he did not have nice rooms. He'd meet inside sometimes for sure. In fact, I'm going to talk about that today, uh, a very small place where we met. But most of his time, he's out there. And last uh, Sunday night, just having the wind blow, and you, I, you know, I couldn't hear. Uh, you probably couldn't hear what was being said more out there in the water. Uh, just out there in the world, out there in just what he created, just to get to experience his presence with us and to do that. And... Uh, I don't know about you, but I enjoy being outside, and uh, it was just kind of a special time last week to celebrate Him in us and that message that He's got for the world around us, and we got to do that out there on Lakeside, and I pray that we do it here, we do it there, we do it wherever He calls us to. Well, this morning, first of all, I want to just mention two things real quick, Awanas. Now, church family... I know you know that is a key ministry. Uh, I experienced it way back in 1981. We had a four-year-old who was clued in to a one. She loved cubbies. And she would come, and we would work on her little verses. That girl today is in Central Asia. Still, she would be one of those 97% walking with the Lord or attending church. But that beginning focus on God's Word in your heart, uh, you just can't beat that. And so, church, I'm glad to see that this is a part of what you do. It does take, it's pretty volunteer intensive, but uh, on that Sunday night, whether you come and help those little ones learn, and while we did talk about play, there's a whole lot more to that, that eternal stuff we're investing in those lives. So if you're helping, great. If you're parents, or if you're like us down our street today, John and Heather's little girl, Abby, is going to church this morning at Western Hills. Because of Awanas. And it was easy for us to say, hey, we've got something at our church. Why don't you see if Abby wants to be a part of it? One week and she was in and they're still a part of that church. So Awanas ministry. Glad we do it. Secondly. Now, Russ and Etta, you're somewhere. I don't see you right now. But church, it's so good to have the, you know, the people that you pray for, you invest in to come back up here and be a part and I just want to assure, affirm, assure you that that ministry that Russ does of doing research, that is critical for church planners. I mean, we lived with that. Now, I'm in Africa, but I want you to know the Asia guys, the Philippines was kind of where it started. We kind of had a rock star named Jim Slack who'd been in the Philippines, and he brought that research that they did there to us in Africa and we began to take seriously the 904 different languages and people groups in that part. And then they're clear down to districts. 
So you all, I, it was good to hear that. And in Faith Academy, I don't know how many kids I know that have gone through Faith Academy. And uh, it's just good to know that 12th Avenue, you're investing in the nations by supporting missionaries through this church. So all of that gets us back to where I want us to go today, where I know some of you, I'm probably wearing you out. You are bored stiff. I mean, we've already gone through six of them. Today's verb seven. In Ephesians chapter one, if you've got your Bibles, let's get it out. Paul continues to go on. It's just so much in him. And so for already six weeks, we've taken those verbs apart. We've got this week making known, and next week, gathered up, uh, as we kind of begin to land this big airplane of what Paul's got in his heart. And so as we get started, like we do every week, I want to ask you to stand because of God's Word over our lives. It's just a simple way that we communicate that, Lord, we want you to speak to our hearts. Your Word is what guides us. I'm going to read for us Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14, the longest sentence in the New Testament, and it's a, it's a prayer. And so let me read for us Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him... We've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And in him you also, when you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, we, think, we thank you that you want us to understand that you are a glory-giving, a glory-producing, a glory-showing God. And Father, I pray this morning as we listen to your word that your spirit would have unusual freedom among us. Speak to our hearts, speak to us where we live, because we want to know you better. For it's in your son's name we pray, amen. You all may be seated. He blesses us. 
He chooses us. He predestines us. He drenches us. And he lavishes on us. Those already, those verbs, those five verbs that he's given. I think I said six. We've already said five. Those five verbs that he has poured out on us to help us understand what he's up to. Today, it's going to change a little bit. Every week, there's just another part of this sentence that comes out of Paul's heart because it started all past tense. Remember, before the foundation of the earth was laid, he chose us in him. So we're talking before time again. We're talking way back in the eternity of the past. I mean, how do you say past? Before anything was in the creation, he, he was doing something. But today... We're going to present tense. These other things where he, he blessed us, he chose us, he predestined us for adoption, he drenched us with that glorious grace of his, he lavished on us the riches of his grace. All those five get us to today. And so as you look in, the, in Ephesians 1, chap, chapter 1, getting in our verse today, verse 8, the end of verse 8 to verse 9, we have a second umbrella phrase. Remember I said the first umbrella phrase we talked about was in love. You can connect two of those verbs with that phrase in love. In love, he, prede he predestined us in love. And as he chose us to be holy and blameless before him, that was in his love for us. So those two are connected with, with that verb. That phrase, those two verbs connect with that phrase. Today, we've got the same thing. We've got that lavish that he drenched us with, all that lavish knowledge of the riches of his glory in what he gives to us in all wisdom and insight. Now, earlier, we looked at that phrase that he's a purposed willed father who wants us in relationship with him. And so today, as Paul is sitting there in his prison cell thinking about who is God, he says, no, in all wisdom and insight. Now, last week when I talked about lavish, how he lavishes his goodness on us, remember we went to the miracle of changing water into wine and how lavish God is all the time. But when he wants to do things, he can do it very lavishly. And then that phrase at the end of that lavishness of God is all of his wisdom and insight. Now, hey, y'all, I'm aware of where we are today, okay? Doc Waters, I know that Emporia, Kansas is a serious center of education that teacher training school I mean I've talked to a number of you that work there uh, I talked to somebody just this last week we talked about the Hall of Fame of teacher and who'd come through who's been here this important place in Kansas in America where we celebrate education now that's knowledge that's knowing something and I'll guarantee you as school's getting ready to start Teachers are going to have outlines, they're going to have what they want to teach, what they're going to try to communicate in the, in the minds of their students to have them know something, uh, dates, facts, 
all that we learn. You know, it's interesting that as Paul talks about God's heart in being lavish on us, he doesn't say the word knowledge. That in the knowledge of God, that he wants to pour out on us all of that grace, the riches of his grace and all that. It's not a knowing thing. He uses another word. He chooses the word wisdom. You know, wisdom and insight. Now, here's what I think wisdom is. I think wisdom is all that God wants us to know put into practice. Wisdom is, is what we do. It's how you live. Wisdom isn't what you find in my office. You come to my office in Topeka, and I've got two or three shelves that are filled with notebooks. I've been going to conferences for years. In fact, the, I can't wait to talk to, yeah, there you guys are. I had to find you on my radar. Get to talk to you about, you know, conferences that we go to as missionaries. I mean, I learned more about orality. I learned about research a ton. There's a guy, Orville Jenkins. I don't know if you know him, Russ, but he's a guru over all of Africa, does the job that you do. Lots of knowledge right there on that bookshelf that I've got in my office, things that I was supposed to learn. But that knowledge doesn't do anything until I take it and begin to apply it and live it and experience what God wants me to know in day-to-day -day life. Knowledge turns into changed behavior, turns into changed action, turns into the change of the way I treat people around my life, the way I, the way I treat God, the way I respond to God. It's what we know lived out into a relationship. And so, y'all, that's why I love this umbrella connector where Paul says that he lavished on us the riches of his goodness, of his grace for us. He dumps that on us in a relationship that he wants us to have in wisdom. He knows what we need. He knows what we need when we need it. He knows what we don't need. And that personal relationship that he wants to have with every one of us, right where you are, that's where that lavishness of the knowledge of how rich his grace is, that wisdom and insight touches what he's doing today. We get our first present tense verb. I like present tense. It means that what started this morning, it's uh, about 5.45, my little world where I get up. What am I going to do today in my relationship with the Lord? I've got to do everything I need to do to get in the car and get down here. And by the way, you notice Priscilla's not with me. We had a weekend conference. So we were up late last night talking to Pompelis, who are really good friends that we were with in Africa. You know, God meets us right where we're at. And so when Paul says, in all that wisdom and insight, how we see perspective and life that we've got, He's making known to us right now the mystery, the mystery of his will. And so that specific relationship that he is invited all of us into, he wants you to meet him right now, today. And right now, today, I don't know about some of you, but I live some days Hour to hour is probably not quite right. I live some days minute to minute. 
there's enough going on in my life just coming at you like that that I get overwhelmed. And especially, I'm sure, with those of you that are in the school system, August is here, and we're getting ready for what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. And so just realizing that the Lord wants to meet you right now in that place, making known to you in a relationship the mystery of his will. Now, I hear, you know, y'all, you don't, you're, none of you are doing it intentionally. But let me tell you, I know a few Al, I'm calling them Al-isms. Good old Al Earhart, pastor. Love that guy. 20, you, Al couldn't be here, pastor can't be here that many years without some Al-isms getting into this church. One of those Al-isms is mystery. I, I think I've heard it enough times that many of you are going to say, oh, yeah, I would talk about mystery and tension. That there's a, there, there's a lot that we have in our relationship with the Lord that we don't understand at all. There's some mystery. I, I touched one of those concepts. It's predestination. It's a huge subject that people have discussed and debated and written about. And there's some mystery in that. And I tried to show you what I think Paul defined it right there in Ephesians 1. Predestined for adoption. Let's focus on that, put those two things together. So some of the mysteries. Now, I like a good mystery. Now, the trouble with the mysteries I like, those whodunits, and the, by the way, the Brits are the best. I mean, they write better mystery than American. I mean, I, I, mean I, I, like, I like some of our American guys that, boy, the British writers, the British stuff that we got to see in Africa. They're really good because those whodunits just weave you around and you think that person's guilty and then that person's guilty. Oh no, it's that one. Those kind of mysteries, that's not, that is not what Paul was talking about. This is not a whodunit deal. He's not, once you learn it, it's over. Mystery in this context means understanding that hidden or that, that inside story of what God wants his children to know. Now, dads, we get to do this a little bit. You know, as a relationship with a family, dads, we have an opportunity to set the direction. That's what I think spiritual leadership's all about, is we understand what God's speaking to us about. We understand, you know, what his plan is for a life that's in Christ walking with him day by day, this very thing Paul's talking about. And then we kind of explain, okay, here's what God's up to in our family. Here's who we want the Saps to be. Here's who we want the Hartels to be. Here's who we want the Faulkners to be. Where dads kind of share that inside story that we around the table talk about. Our word means something. I'll guarantee you, you come around my table, my wife has brought a great piece of our family. <clears throat> her word, what we say yes to, means something. That's the inside story of our family. We've talked about that at our table. Uh, those special things, you don't do it every day, but every now and then there's a, there's a teachable moment, there's a time to do that. That's this mystery. And so where he says, I predestined you for adoption as children... He's inviting all of us to be in that family relationship with him where we sit around and we hear his heart. 
of what he's up to. That mystery or this is our family purpose, what God is up to, he's sharing that with us, his children. Now, sometimes we say children should be seen and not heard. Not true here. Because in understanding the mystery that God's love for us, that in that wisdom and insight that he's making known, that mystery of his will, of what he wants to do, I believe that relationship we have, you can ask him any question you want. I believe that his purposes are eternal before the foundation of the world. I mean, we know it started there, and we are going to, next week, we're going to talk about how much he wants to wrap it up. And so that big overarching plan that God has, he says, I want you in on the story. I want you a part of this. And so that opportunity we have of a relationship with God is so much more than Sunday morning at 9.15. I think Paul is trying to tap us on the shoulder and say, listen, this relationship with God is a whole lot more than one little slice of your life called church. This relationship with God ought to encompass everything that you know, everything that you are. And so the umbrella phrase, in all wisdom and insight, the present tense verb that he's doing it right now, today, where you're at, making known that insider story that he wants to know, according to. Now, y'all, this is the third time. Uh, this according to phrase is, he's using it a lot, and he's not done, as Paul writes to us, he says, in all wisdom and insight, he's making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And remember, I define according to as determined by his purpose or in proportion to his purpose. So as he's got his purpose that overrides it all, and that purpose is that we would be in a relationship with him. That purpose is that his glory, which is rich, his glory, which is revealed, that glorious riches of who he is, his purpose is that would be made known. And he says, I've set that in my son. I sent him to make that known then and making it known today. Let's go watch Jesus do it. If you've got your Bibles, turn over to Mark chapter 2. So can you, what I, what I think these verbs are so good for us to do is let's go back and see how Jesus did it. I mean, if, if Paul, sitting in a prison cell, is sitting there thinking and writing about who is God and, you know, this blessed blesser who chooses us and did destined us for a relationship as children. He drenched us in His grace. He lavished on us. And He's making known today. How did Paul know that? Well, I think, one, the Holy Spirit speaks to his heart. But number two, I believe that Paul listened to the life of Jesus. I don't think Paul saw Him. I think Paul's like you and I. I think Jesus had come and gone before Paul got on the scene. You know, we, we see Paul after 
the church has started with Stephen. That's where we bump into him. It's a myth. We don't know whether or not he saw Jesus face to face. But I'll tell you what, he started listening after Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. He, he wants to know about him. So he's just like us. Nobody in this room has seen Jesus. And so we get to do what Paul did. We get to listen to the story. So I've had this in John where John writes about what Jesus did. Last week, we went to Luke. This week, we're in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 2. And this is early on where Mark wants us, as Peter lived it, Mark wants us to listen and see Jesus at work. So I want to tell you the story. Now, Jesus had come back. So here's, here's another story. Jesus has come back to Capernaum. And when people in town heard that he was there, they came to his house, came to a house. And there were so many of them in the house, there was no room inside and there was no room even at the door. Now, they went and four of them were carrying a friend in a pallet to come to be before Jesus. And when they saw they couldn't get him in to where Jesus was, they climbed up on the roof. And they began to open the roof up until they could lower him down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, your sins are forgiven. Now, the scribes and teachers of the law that were sitting there said in their hearts, how can this man say, your sins are forgiven? Because only God can say that. He's blasphemy. And Jesus, sensing in his heart what they were thinking, said to them, why are you all thinking that? Let me ask you a question. Which is easier? For me to say your sins are forgiven or to say pick up your mat and walk? And so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin. Pick up your mat and go home. And he did. And the whole crowd was amazed. And what he'd done. They'd never seen anything like that before. Now, that's the end of the story in Mark chapter 2. Well, let's take that story apart of what Jesus was up to. First of all, Jesus is a teacher. This is early. This is before Jesus changes water into wine. This is right up front in his ministry. And he'd been away. He'd had one early in Mark. Mark's chronological. Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law. Peter's married, and they'd had a big day at the synagogue, and he comes back home at night, and Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever, and she can't cook. And so Jesus goes in and heals her of the fever, and she gets up and cooks supper. Now, that and then all that evening and afternoon night, people would begin to say, good grief, there's something in that house. <laughs> Let's bring people. And so they brought people, and Peter healed them. Mark 135, a great time before dawn, Jesus is alone praying, and Peter comes and finds him and says, look, everybody's looking for you, Jesus. And Jesus says, we need to go on to other villages and teach them. We don't, he insinuated, we don't need to go back there. And so now he's come home, and home is Capernaum. It's a town right on the Sea of Galilee. It's on the shore. 
And as he got home, people heard. And so Jesus' crowd began to come around. And so he, making known, Jesus is going to do some teaching. He's going to pass out some knowledge. And people like to hear Jesus teach. And so there were so many that came. They filled the house. There wasn't even room outside the door. That means people are leaning in the window. Now, nothing this size. I mean, these little houses. We're talking a small crowd. Maybe not even from here to that wall. We're talking here to the corner. Maybe it's that wide. And then about halfway out of the chairs. So that's a little house. Now, it'll have a stairwell. I don't know about you, but we live in Africa. We lived in Africa where it's hot. I love the fact we had a flat roof. So in the evening, you know what we, I don't know how many nights, I barbecue on the roof. I go up there, I'm on a grill. We loved living on the roof because we get a little gentle breeze. It's not hot. It's very comfortable. That's the way they build their houses there. So there's a stairwell just like this on the side of the house that goes up on the roof. And so when these guys get Fred the paralyzed guy in their little pallet and they bring him, they can't get him in front of Jesus. So what do they do? <laughs> they crawl up the stairs, get up on the roof. Now Jesus is teaching so much, they're starting to chip away up there. Guess what's going to happen? Dust, straw, probably a stick or two, maybe some rocks that help make that strong enough that you can stand on it. They're tearing away all that roof so they can get Fred the paralyzed guy down on the pallet. In front of Jesus. Now, y'all, there's plenty of things to learn right here. First of all, the they. If you've if you got your Bibles, let's look at the they. In Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 3, 4, and for, yeah, verse 3, and they came bringing to him the paralytic carried by four men. So the they we know is at least four. Could be more than that. We don't know how many guys, but at least four because it takes four guys to carry the fellow on, the, on his pallet. You know what I like about this they, these guys? Here's another one I want to meet in heaven. I want to meet these guys. Because the crowd went to Jesus, and what they do? They went the other direction. They already had a plan that when Jesus shows up, Fred the paralyzed guy gets to be with Jesus. Now, church, I hope there's some they in this room. I hope you're bigger than the crowd. I hope you've got a plan. Then when Jesus shows up, you want other people to get in on what you've got. These, these the they, these four or more, realize that being with Jesus is where it's at. And if we can get our friend with him, good things are going to happen. Now, I like that. I want that. I want that in my own heart. I want that in the community I'm around where we realize that it's worth the price to go do something extra for our friends and neighbors that don't know Jesus. I want to be a they. I want to go and get them, go against the crowd. Everybody's going to get, you know, they're hustling around. The teachers of the law, they're right there. Everybody's hustling to get in the little house. I want in. I want to hear Jesus. These guys gave it up. And they said, no, I want to go get, I want to go get somebody else. Thank you for doing that, for your investment in the ones that don't know.
And so, as they come, they can't get him in. They, they go up on the roof. Now, here's the next key sentence. Boy, the, underline this one in your Bible. Verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the they. Now, what does their faith look like? How, when you see faith, tell me what faith looks like. Is it something on your face? Well, maybe. But on this day, faith is work. They're not saved at all by their work. But Jesus sees their faith because there's dust coming off the roof. It's settling down in here. Their faith is seen by what they're doing to get Fred the paralyzed guy down here in front of them. And so we're seeing the faith of at least five people. Because if Fred didn't want to come and be in front of Jesus, you know, he could be kicking or wiggling. Don't do this to me. So I think Fred's believing, this is a good thing, get me here. The four guys up on the roof that have made the hole and are lowering Jesus down, they believe their faith is get, get Fred in front of Jesus. And so when Jesus sees their faith, he does something. Okay, 12th Avenue. Let me remind you that when you live out your faith, when you do something, you invite kids to Awanas, you have a mission conference, you make decisions that we care about the nations, you do something. This is not just we sit around and we think about it. There's action that takes place, and that demonstrates our faith. We get in the car, we, we go knock on our neighbor's door, we bake something, we take it to our neighbors and welcome to the neighborhood, we invite them to come to our life group. We do things. And so, when he saw their faith, that's all good. I hope you're with me to hear now. Buckle up, because it's getting ready to get hard. When he saw their faith, what did he do? What did Jesus do? What did he say? When he saw their faith, he looked at the man and he said, what? Your sins are forgiven. Church, have you ever been disappointed? Have you ever been shocked by what God does? Now, with, with the four guys, they're up there. They've done all that work. They've dug a hole in the roof. They've sweated to get Fred the paralyzed guy out there. Fred the paralyzed guy is hanging down here looking at Jesus. There's five, at least five people that all of a sudden got disappointed. Why do they have Fred the paralyzed guy here? What's their ex expectation? Healing. Jesus has healed before. And so they expect Jesus to do it again. And so as Fred the paralyzed guy comes down, the guys are up there lowering him down, all of that. And then Jesus says, he doesn't say anything about seeing their faith. That's only in, in Peter's heart. Peter catches it. That when Jesus saw their faith, he said, he didn't say be healed. Now, he did that before. Peter's mother-in-law, Peter's wife's mama, Jesus, whatever Jesus did on her, he was over her and she had a fever and... He healed her, and she got him cooked supper. People came in, and Jesus did stuff, and their lives changed. Life's good. So let's get Fred the paralyzed guy, and let's get him down here in front of Jesus, and let's hope for healing. 
And Jesus shocks them all when he says, your sins are forgiven. They were not expecting that. They were expecting healing. Now, for Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven, the little, I love you guys sitting right here. You're just perfect. Teachers of the law, right? <laughs> the ones that are up front. What did they say in their hearts? They said, what? You can't say that. Nobody can say that. How can you say your sins are forgiven? And so I need two helpers to come help me demonstrate this. So Brother Coltrane, come. And my little friend Ray, come on up here. I need two of you up here. I'm going to try to demonstrate what Jesus is saying. So get up. Get up here on the stage. You're not going to believe what I'm going to have you do. Over here, Brother Coltrane. Over here. Okay. You guys know TV, all right? You know what a fake fight looks like? Okay. I want you to throw a punch. I want you to get him right there on the chin. Okay? Just kind of whack. Okay. Uh, how are you feeling about that? Uh, is this guy, uh, you're kind of happy after he punches in the face? No, not really. Not too good. How are you feeling about that? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, here's what Jesus did. He looks at this guy and he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, who just got hurt? This guy. This guy hurt him, and here I am, a third party. I got nothing to do with it. I didn't get punched in the face, and I'm telling you, and you're listening, your sins are forgiven. That ought to stir something up in your heart. What are you talking about? How can he, you know, he sinned against you, not against me. And what am I saying to him about what he did to you? Does that make sense? That's just what happened. You guys, thanks. You can sit down. Great acting. And so Jesus does that in front of all these teachers of the law, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And they say, you can't say that. Because the only one that can say sin is forgiven is God himself. And who in the world are you to say that you can forgive sin? Now, do you see how all of a sudden Jesus is taking this thing down? We're getting deep. And those teachers of the law, they're all offended. In fact, this is where it starts. This is the first time that Jesus really begins to push on the established religious world to say, it's not what you think. I've come to do something different. I've come to forgive the sins of the world. And so they're thinking in their hearts, which is easier. I know, they're thinking in their hearts, why in the world just say that? Jesus, this is the part that I like. This is making known right now. We're, we're talking in the present tense. How fast Jesus could perceive what those teachers of the law are thinking in their hearts is almost instantaneous. And so in the moment he says to them, why in the world are you thinking that? Let me ask you a question. Now we're to the subject. Which is easier? And he says that word, which is easier, for me to say your sins are forgiven or for me to say pick up your pallet and go home. And so you may know, K-N-O-W. We're getting ready for some big time teaching right here. Jesus says, so that you may know that I, the Son of Man, 
He doesn't say himself. He says, so that you may know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin. Fred, pick up your pallet and go home. And he does. So church, let me ask you, which is easier? Which is easier, for Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven, or for Jesus to say, pick up your pallet and go home? I think it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Because guess what it's going to cost to say? No, you're, I was totally wrong. It's easier to say, pick up your pallet and go home. It's easier for me to say, be healed. Because to be able to say your sins are forgiven, what's that going to cost him? That's going to cost him his life. That's going to cost him everything else that's in front of him. So already the very first time he's proclaiming who he is, in this context at Capernaum, before the woman at the well, before changing water into wine, he says, so that you may know. He wants us to know that he has authority over our sinful condition. So that you can know that I have authority to forgive sin. Pick up your mat and go home. And he healed the man. God is making known from then to now to forever. He's making known who he is. And so today I want to invite you. I want to invite you to the opportunity of a relationship of that kind of a level of relationship. It starts by turning to him. It just starts in our hearts. And many of us in this room have done it already. But if you haven't, I want to invite you to do it. To turn to him and say, God, I want to know you. If you're a God who's making yourself known, I want in on the party. I want in on. And it's not going to be easy. It's going to be just like what we acted out. He's going to shock you. Because his purposes are not your purposes. He's got plans for your life that you don't know about. He's got, he's got responsibility that you're not in on yet. But I want to invite you. To, I want to invite you to come and to get into that relationship with him. It starts by turning him and saying, God, I believe you. God, I want to confess, I agree with you that my life is not what you want. I have sinned. I'm separated from you. I am not living the way that you are pleased with. Will you forgive me for that? And God, I want you to be my Lord. I want, to, I want you to teach me about you, and I want to submit to you. That's how our relationship works. And by the way, that relationship keeps going. You do it once. I didn't. I've told you many times. Mine was in January of 72. I still am doing it. You know, saying, God, I want to know you. He is making known the mystery of who he is. So what do we do? First of all, if you haven't started that, I invite you to start it by doing that. Secondly, because of him being made known in all humility, we realize we treat people different because it's him, not us. In gentleness, the way we treat people, he's gentle towards us. You know, just think what he did with that group of people. He didn't get angry because they didn't know. He was very gentle in the way he teaches, but he wants us to know. So in humility and gentleness and patience, how we treat one another.
we're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. I want to ask you to stand. I want to close. As we think about our relationship with a God who wants to make himself known, not only wants to, he is doing it. I want to invite you to, to be a part of that. If some of you have never done that and you want to talk to me more about it, I sure would love to talk to you today. I'll just be down over here at the corner. If anybody wants to talk to me about it, please come talk to me. But I have a, a benediction to close our time. Because in Romans, Paul writes another letter to the church at Rome. He's, here's what he says. And now to him, that one, who is able to strengthen you according to the good news and the preaching of Jesus, according to the revelation, the making known of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, to that only wise God be glory forever and ever. Let me leave us in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you're, you're one who wants us to know you're not hiding. And yet, Father, many of us today, we want to know you better. We thank you that that's what you want us to do. You've invited us to come into that relationship with you to discover more and more about you. And so, Father, today I pray that you would lead us into the knowledge of that purposed will that you have for all of us as your church, but for each of us individually as we walk with you. We thank you that you speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Church. Go be the church in Emporia.